Today's show is brought to you by HBO. In a world of incessant data tracking, one tech startup is working to create a brand new internet, and that startup is Pied Piper. It's a totally decentralized, totally awesome, and too good to be true network, only on HBO's Silicon Valley. This tech could make the world a better place. Catch new episodes of Silicon Valley Sundays at 10 p.m. on HBO. Hi, I'm Tara Swisher, executive editor of Recode. You may know me as the best chef in the world as long as you only want peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and nothing else. But in my spare time, I talk tech and you're listening to Recode Decode from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today, we're going to play an interview I did back in March at South by Southwest in Austin, Texas. This is the last of my interviews from this year's festival, but we already published the others I did with Valerie Jarrett, Christiane Amanapour, Esther Perel, and Maria Shriver with her daughter, Christina Schwarzenegger. Make sure to go back and listen to those in case you miss them. This interview is with celebrity chef Jose Andres, who has been doing some great work with his nonprofit, World Central Kitchen. It has served millions of meals to the people of Houston and Puerto Rico after last year's devastating hurricanes. And Jose has also been a vocal critic of President Trump on the issue of immigration. Let's take a listen. All right, so there's so much to talk about. And you said you just landed, right? Ten minutes ago. Ten minutes ago. And then you're like, I don't know why I'm here, right? Does that I don't really. I mean, I'm so honored to be here with you. Okay. But I have no clue about what you are an expert on, so I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I really don't know what I'm doing here. Let me just say. Uh, I mean, it's a bar. I can can handle a bar. You know, Jose, if you were a geeky guy, you would be crazy right now. And like, I'm like Justin Bieber for geeky guys. Geeky guy? What's that? Oh, forget it. Anyway, let's move on. Uh, We're going to talk about a lot of things. Um, I I write about technology, but I have an ability to talk about other things, too. I I know. Okay. All right, good. Um, So I want to talk about what you've been doing. Um, Let's start with Puerto Rico, because let's just go right into it. Um, You've been doing a lot of relief work there, and you've created the World uh, uh, World Central Kitchen. Kitchen. Can you start to talk about what inspired you to do that? Obviously, the disaster, but... Okay, so uh, let's... Tell them very quickly what happened in Puerto Rico. So, yeah. so I have this NGO called World Central Kitchen, and when um, you know, you, we went to Houston and we were making a lot of meals in Houston, and, and then uh, Puerto Rico happened. And three days later, we were in the first plane we got, we went to San Juan, and I went there. He's here with my friend Nate Mook, and and I was there, you know, for a week. I always do it. I go Haiti, after hurricanes, after earthquakes. Mm-hmm. And my idea was, we go a week, we help, we bring some money, we cook, we make some meals, we help some right. friends. So, long story short, first day I think we did like 1,000 meals. Um, and we distributed them around San Juan, a hospital here, a shelter there. But long story short, at the end what we did is, we went from one kitchen in the middle of San Juan to more than... 18th functioning kitchens at the same time. We opened a total of 23, and we went from 1,000 meals the first day to 3.4 million about to reach this way. Wow, wow. So what was the... And that's what happened. And then, I'm sorry? It, that's what happened. Yeah. Over amazing more than 20,000 volunteers, more than 10 food trucks, helicopters, Humvees, ships, boats, National Guard, Army, Navy, everybody helping was uh, unbelievable, but the most unbelievable thing was that we were not supposed to be there. Right. Why is that? Well, because we were not supposed to be there. We are not technically a relief organization. Right. We, we, even we've been going to relief moments more and more. Right. But we are not a relief organization. We, right. We, we like to say we change the world through the power of food, and we have projects like in Haiti. We have a bakery and an orphanage. We have a restaurant. They're great because they make money. So they're sustainable business. Yes, they feed the children, but mm-hmm. creates income for Right. We have a school. We teach women. So uh, what, what's your impetus to Because you're a chef. I mean, what, what were you thinking of creating this? And I'd love to get a sense where we are with Puerto Rico right now, because it's been forgotten again in the cycle. It's been the, forgotten. The, the news story. Let's talk about that first. So where, where are we with Puerto Rico right now? I think Puerto Rico, you know, everywhere I see a problem, I only see opportunity. Mm-hmm. What I can tell you is that the people... The American people of Puerto Rico are yeah. unbelievable. Right. I mean, I, 
Yeah, you can clap. I, you know, I get upset when I don't have hot shower in my hotel room. And I call down and, what the heck is going on? I am Jose Andres. I need hot water. <laughs> and all of a sudden you feel so stupid when you know that you have an 80-year-old woman sharing her only bottle of water with her, with the people around her. Mm-hmm. And, you, and you start giving value to, to things in life. And you start really realizing that you can complain about who you are and where you are, but it's others that they have it much worse than you. Right. And when I saw the people of Puerto Rico uh, becoming one and working together to mm-hmm. start solving the issues, uh, one problem at a time, this was amazing. So, you know, I just came back, I think, less than two weeks uh, ago from Puerto Rico. And we have my organization. We still have there three kitchens, one in Vieques, mm-hmm. which I think we're doing four or five hundred meals a day. It's an island of 6,000, but we began there very early on feeding the people of Vieques. We have a kitchen in Bayamón. I think we do three, 4,000, 5,000 meals from there. And then we have another kitchen in the middle of the island in, in a place called Lares, which is an amazing chef called Ventura, who he's been with us from the beginning. And, and he's still cooking in the heart of the island. So, you know, we are doing seven, 8,000 meals a day still today. So how would you assess the recovery there and the government's role in it? It's, it's very hard because I'm not an expert, and, and, and obviously I'm not an expert, but I'm writing a book right now as we mm-hmm. speak. Hopefully it'll be published in September. Uh, we Fed an Island. And, you know... The book is uh, called We Fed an Island. We Fed an Island. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have, um, we have a tendency, obviously, uh, you, you can make it political very quickly. Right. But if we go back in time... This is beyond politics. This is not about Republicans and Democrats. Even it's very easy to have them fight and anybody put you in any side. Mm-hmm. At the end, is use American people taking care of Americans in moment of disrepair, in moment of need, and, shit, and this should be a political. If I say everybody should believe that in the moment we have a tragedy like a hurricane or earthquake or a tornado, that America will take care of fellow Americans. Will everybody agree that that should be something like Republicans and Democrats should endorse? So why we don't make it happen? But that's not precisely what happened there, exactly. There was a lot of politics in Puerto Rico. Well, I was in Haiti. Even in Haiti, I arrived, I think, six, seven weeks after the earthquake. Mm-hmm. And, and I've been there more than 25, 30 times. So. But on paper, the numbers that we, we can show is that what we did in Haiti was much faster and quicker, and we put many more troops and many more assets mm-hmm. to the betterment of the lives of the people of Puerto Prince and Haiti than we did of the American people of Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, I would say that maybe, yes, the government kind of fell Puerto Rico. We, we were very quick and very fast helping Haiti. Mm-hmm. I cannot say we were as quick and as fast helping Puerto Rico. And why was that, from your perspective? I, I was, you know, I was trying to go to the the White House, to the main room where they make decisions, but they didn't let me in, so I don't know what was going on. Yeah. Um, but the truth Did is, you that actually some... walk up to the house. And... No. Okay. <laughs> I, th- I yeah, I have a three a three street radius. I cannot get close to the White yeah. House. Yeah. No, but but the truth well, is probably. that the truth is that let's put it this way. The people of the federal government, the men and women, the people of FEMA, the people of the military, they're the best people out there. It has nothing to do with them. They work 24-7. They leave their families behind. Sometimes they pay things out of their own money, out of their own pocket. Mm -hmm. They do. Every one of them is a hero in their own way. Mm -hmm. Every single person that goes to these moments. But the truth is that the system sometimes doesn't allow them to be successful. Right. And the first day we were there, we met people from Homeland Security. And it's people that are what they call HSI, which they do um, investigation in the frontier. Mm -hmm. And people of what we call ICE. Who was going to tell me people of ICE were going to become my best friends? The guys that, uh, unfortunately, the role is to be kicking out undocumented immigrants when Mm -hmm. they think they shouldn't be here any longer. But those were amazing people. And they were going around the island, bringing security, and kind of assessing the situation. Very quickly, we saw that they were only bringing water. Mm -hmm. And they saw we were making sandwiches. And they were like, Jose, can we bring sandwiches? Sure. 
we needed people with distribution. Right. They were our first distributors across the island. I see. So every morning was beautiful to see 40 Humvees, 40 Jeeps mm -hmm. aligned in front of the restaurant with all our teams and volunteers and chefs filling up the, the back of the Humvees with as many sandwiches as they could take. We did this for over probably close to three months, probably more. Mm. And this only shows you that to sure everything works, but you know that decision was not made at the top. Right. The decision was made at a bar at 11.30 p.m. with a rum sour. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you have to adapt. and It's funny for me that I was able to meet those guys mm -hmm. in the hotel they were staying after 16-hour work days. And right there, things will happen and we will make a quick plan. Right. So that to me shows me that sometimes the bigger problems have very simple solutions. And that sometimes we make the problem bigger by not taking action. Right. Meetings, meetings, and meetings. And then let's do another meeting in case the previous meeting was not clear enough. Mm -hmm. Okay, this may work for some people. But when you're talking about hunger and you're talking about feeding people, when are you going to wait? Three weeks from now? Mm -hmm. Thank you. Don't worry. You don't have to feed anybody else. Everybody is dead. It's as dramatic as that. Mm -hmm. When people are hungry, and especially when American people are hungry, the urgency of now is now. and means it's not planning, it's just cooking and sending the food to the people in need. Right. And that's what we did. And, and, and do you feel that there needs to be more attention there still? Because again, the attention has dropped off. Well. But then it, there's like a news story every five minutes now. Uh, I, I think the stories are there. Uh, I think the governor overall has is, is, is been doing a good job. He's been hard work. But Puerto Rico is a big political problem. Yeah. Uh, but can become an opportunity. Mm -hmm. uh, if he's a part of America, needs a Marshall Plan. Right. So we help Puerto Rico really to be where it should be. And, and I think that's possible, but we need political will. Yeah. I hope that with the many Puerto Ricans are uh, with voting rights in America where their vote counts, not in Puerto Rico in the island, but in Florida and New York, I, thought, I think they should be very active voting to make sure that the voices will be heard in November and in the years to come. Right. So one day Puerto Rico and any other place in America deserves what they deserve when they should deserve it. But Puerto Rico is kind of, is a, right now it seems, yes, it's a second thought. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm not a political guy. The only thing I try to do is making sure that we could feed as many people we could. Yeah. And now we're helping some farmers. We're trying to bring water. And more important, we're trying to get ready if another hurricane happens in September, October, let's, let's hope it doesn't happen, that at least we have a plan. Right. Now, you say you're not a political person, but you've gotten in some tangles with the Trumps still this year. Yeah, but that's fake news. Uh, <laughs> uh, I have, you know, I, I respect the, my president, which is our president. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't all like the same music and we don't all like the same foods. Right. You know, yeah. but we respect uh, people liking other foods and mm -hmm. people liking other musicians. Right. That's not any different with a president. Okay. Uh, um, you know, I think the the potential of improvement is huge. Right. And that we should celebrate. <laughs> okay. <laughs> For some reason, I don't think uh, I don't think you like a well done steak. We're going to take a quick break now for a word from our sponsors. We'll be back in a minute with celebrity chef Jose Andres. Today's show is brought to you by IBM. We live in a world that's creating AI-enabled everything, a world with more IoT devices than people. Today, technology has never been smarter. But smart only matters when you put it to work where it matters. When we put smart to work, we can help save species, increase crop yields, and make progress, not just for a few of us, but for all of us. So let's get to it. Let's put smart to work. Find out how at ibm.com slash smart. I'd also like to tell you about one of our other podcasts, Recode Media with Peter Kafka. Peter, who'd you talk to this week? Hey, Kara, it's Ed Lee this week taking over Peter's show. He likes it when I do that. I talked to Amy Chozik, the author of a new book called Chasing Hillary, which is about exactly that, chasing Hillary Clinton across two of her presidential campaigns and more particularly the most recent one uh, against Trump, which was really divisive. 
And, you know, her book talks about what it's like to be on the campaign bus, what it's like to deal with all our handlers, what to do with stolen emails, uh, and the difficulties of debating what's news and what's not news and what it's even like to work inside the New York Times. And it was a great discussion. You should go check it out. You can find Recode Media on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play Music, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. I want to get to the issue of immigration because that's another yep. one of the reasons you had the fake news with him. Um, can you talk about <laughs> um Can you talk about um, that, your, your the immigration well, issue? You, know, you mentioned uh, ICE using them to deliver sandwiches and not take immigrants. Um, so talk about that issue because it was a... You, you know, immigration, I'm an immigrant myself. I think everybody will agree that America is a nation of immigrants with the permission of, of all the people that were living here before. But America is a nation of immigrants. I've been an immigrant all my life, even in Spain, where I come from. I, I never belonged to a place because very young, my, my family moved me from one place to another. So I was always a foreigner in my own country. But I always was welcome and I was, was given an opportunity. And America, if anything, for a cook, which is the melting pot of the world, imagine. This is the perfect place to be a young boy. Mm -hmm. um, but immigration is a very clear thing. It's a big lie what we are living right now. We cannot, in one hand, look to the other side when there we need people to work on the farms or in the chicken factories and let them in. But when that uh, farming season is over, then we want to kick them out. That's not the American way. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, you know, we want to have our greens and our golf clubs perfectly clean and beautiful so we can hit the stupid ball and put it on the hole. <laughs> I, I play golf, huh? but, mm -hmm. but it's stupid ball and, and those guys working are undocumented. The real American way should be to give opportunity to those men and women who are part of the DNA of what America stands for, an opportunity to belong. They're already here. So why are we living this lie where every single salad, every senator and every congressman are eating on the hill? Probably is being picked by an undocumented. That's mm -hmm. the big lie. Mm -hmm. And the American way is just be pragmatic. Mm -hmm. I think America has been the most pragmatic of all countries I know. Right. A lot of things to improve, but things always seem to be moving right. uh, in the way forward. On immigration reform is not a problem it's not a problem for us to solve, but an opportunity for us to seize. My restaurants don't have enough people. I need to be hiring more people, and sometimes I don't have workforce to be hired. We need those 11 million plus undocumented to be part of the American dream, because right now they're ghosts. Even they're the ones helping us run many parts of our lives, right. and especially the dreamers. It's insane that Democrats and, 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 and Republicans, and let's face it, Democrats got also control of the White House, Congress, and Senate, and also nothing happened. So if we want to be pragmatic, we need to be asking Republicans in charge now, no more but no less, that's what we should be asking also the Democratic leadership. Mm -hmm. Immigration reform is something that has to happen yesterday but especially dreamers, to have young American men and women that very much arrive here on diapers, that they are as American as you and me, that they are not given the opportunity to really keep making America better, is just insane. And just to try to think like we're going to be what? kicking them out is just unbelievable. What do you think is going to happen? You're involved politically. Mm -hmm. It's very hard right now because this uh, presidency is very fluid. Mm -hmm. And presidency. I like fluid. Yeah. But I like fluid when you know a little bit where the river is going. Right. <laughs> uh, within the river, you can be moving, but there is a river to be followed. But this okay. is like. But the truth is that this is beyond uh, president. I do believe I'm expecting much more from the leadership on the Hill. Mm -hmm. And what should be happening. It's a true immigration reform. They're talking about a wall. Listen, uh, everybody lies to a degree, no? It's like some people want, some people want a wall, right? We, we all know that walls, you know, uh, they're not gonna achieve anything. Mm -hmm. Really, they're not gonna achieve much. Mm -hmm. It's just a great way to put a physical wall between people. The best, the best we can do is not building walls, but investing mm -hmm. 
in the countries around us. If we invest in Haiti, we will not have people trying to come on boat to Florida. If we keep investing in Mexico, we're not going to be having more Mexicans coming to, to America uh, undocumented. And what we should be doing is a smart visa systems where we can have this revolving door where people can come, work the farm, and go back to their country. Vast majority of the people, they want to leave where they are from. They don't want to be separated from their families for years. They want to see their children grow. They want to be where they belong. But if they have opportunity to come to America, help the American economy, do the farming, they go back. And next year, they know they can come back when the okra or, or, or wheat or corn season happens again. That will be smart business. For me, it's very, very amazing that our leadership in the Hill are not coming up with those quotas of business that are smart for American business, right. especially small business. Sometimes we need workers that we cannot find. And every day right now, we're in close to what is called total employment. The employment that is so low, the yeah. employment, that is every day more and more difficult you to find, find people. So let's talk about the food business. Now, you've been at, how long have you been doing this? Um, since my mother fed me first time, I've been in the food business. Okay, all right, okay. So I don't remember that moment, but I'm sure it was good. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Um, what, what's changed but, recently? I mean, with the, I, I want to get into a little bit of tech, but uh, what is happening in the food business right now from your perspective? Well, I think, uh, I think food business is probably one of the most fascinating business you can belong to. Mm -hmm. I have a class in George Washington we created a few years ago, which the idea of the class was to show that food very much touches everything that we are. Food is history, and if we don't understand that, we don't know who we are. Mm -hmm. Briat Savaran said, the French philosopher in 1826, tell me what you eat and I will tell you who you are. But he even said something more important. Tom, he said, the future of the nations will depend on how they feed themselves. Powerful phrase. Mm -hmm. Food is a science. We teach a class at Harvard where we teach physics through food. Mm -hmm. Um, food is the DNA of who we are. Food is hunger. Food is obesity. Mm -hmm. Food is politics. Food very much touches absolutely everything. Mm -hmm. So in this moment, uh, America itself, more than around 15% of the American economy relies on, on the food business. Right. Between farming and restaurants and distribution and food production. And I think the moment we're living is an exciting moment because it's full of challenges, but full of opportunities. By the year 2050, we're going to have to feed 9 billion people. And we need to crack the code in how we're going to be doing this in a way that is logical, is sustainable, we can do it. And, and especially the most important thing to me, something that we make sure that every single person has a chance, an opportunity to have a humble plate of food. That's something that is achievable. We are able to produce enough food to feed everybody. We only need to make sure that we are able to get. So how is that to happen? Because you know, there's genetically engineered food, there's all kinds of efforts to cut down on meat, um, a ton of Silicon Valley companies are investing in like impossible foods and all kinds of things. How do you look at all those efforts as a I, chef? As I, do believe, I do believe that it's very naive if you go to a food conference, and I fight with many of my French chefs, that they think everything has to be local and organic. Because in the moment they are telling me, and probably some of you here are the same way, and I used to be that way not too long ago, but when we say local and organic, the same person is telling me this, the jeans he or she is wearing are from Cambodia. Mm -hmm. And is drinking a bottle of champagne that happens is from France from 1997. Mm -hmm. That's not seasonal and that's not local. And obviously, that's an entitled you to give me a talk about seasonal and local, you moron. <laughs> Is that how so, you open the conversation? So we need to be pragmatic <laughs> in the sense of if we're going to be feeding 9 million, we need to be open in the many ways. So impossible meats is a great thing. Mm -hmm. uh, actually, it happens. Uh, I, I tasted first time this over probably two years ago. Mm -hmm. And in one of my restaurants, Beefsteaks, we are about to, uh, which is my vegetable fast food restaurant, 
We have like six, seven yeah, now. Yeah, they're great. We're about to put it. Uh, they came up also, um, the guys of Jazz Mayo, mm -hmm. they were, they came with this egg, uh, soy base that behaves like egg. Mm -hmm. You can make a scrambled egg, so you can make an omelette with a vegetable base, uh, liquid. It's fascinating. Do you um, like to cook with them? What do you think of cooking with them? If you have I'm, a great... I'm doing a vegetable book right now. Uh, that's a commercial. It's going to be released next year. Um, but I love it. Uh, Based the, on beef steak. It's opportunity. I prefer much more that. Yeah. That the turkey for Thanksgiving that happens is fake news because it's made out of tofu. Right. Okay. What, tofu what the heck you have to make tofu look like? Right. Poor turkey. Right, right. Did you ask the tofu if he wants to look like a turkey? No. Why tofu cannot look like tofu? Right. We don't, you know, so, so, me and the business just that, so you know, it's called Tofurky. Tofurky. Okay, yeah. You may break. <laughs> but I, I don't like tofu personally, but I respect somehow the people that do. Um, I don't have many friends though, but, um, no, no. But I do believe that's the future. Uh, it's great things happening. Many, many people are doing in the roofs of every building, uh, gardens that produce vegetables mm -hmm. right now is companies investing heavily in in farms that they're going to be near cities right or which i think is very smart farming which is stack farming hydroponics where many of the of the tasks are going to be run by computers mm -hmm. uh a lot of things are happening and i think this is good news what do you think you think that's good news yeah, this is amazing news farming. because we need to feed nine billion people maybe more we need to be attacking from all, all levels. It's always going to be a, a space for the conventional uh, farming. It'll be different prices. Right. But we need to be attacking uh, the, the food sources, how we're going to keep feeding humanity in a super smart, constructive way. So me, very much, I endorse almost everything. Mm -hmm. uh, we only need to meet hydroponics is something I think is great. I just came back from Puerto Rico. We are helping a farmer where we want to, uh, he's one of the best guys there doing hydroponics and he's very happy to share his experience with every other Puerto Rican that wants to have a farm. Great news is that in a very small space of land, he's able to produce 10 times more. So that's a smart business. So there we're doing this kind of a school supporting him so he can keep sharing the know-how with other farmers that want to do the same as right. he's doing. Right. How does your business get affected by like online reservations and the way it's changed? It used to be such a simple system, but now. 25 years ago, Haleo, my first Spanish restaurant in DC, Seventh and E, yeah. um, uh, first person came in, Senator Patrick Moynihan, mm -hmm. uh, the beloved Senator from New York. Uh, very much we were empty and we will not take any reservation. We were empty because I was an excellent chef, but nobody knew about it. Mm -hmm. uh, and we were in a part of town that was yep, nobody after 4 p.m. And at 5, you had a guy across the street se selling me a white powder, telling me, hey, baby, baby, look at it. That's good powder, man, good flour. Mm -hmm. And then, oh, man, that's the neighborhood. Yeah. That's it. We will take anybody coming in. So at the right. very beginning, we were at no reservation. Right. Why? Because we were cool? No. Because... W we will take the reservation or we will not take the reservation. We'll do whatever you want. Mm -hmm. As we became more and more popular, Which we began did. changing to take some reservations, but then we will take walk-ins. So we will always know that people could believe that they will eventually find a table. Right. If you come to this part of the world, we will feed you. Then we get open table coming in. Mm -hmm. And that's going to change the business forever and ever big percentage of our reservations now go through open table. Mm -hmm. Now they are the main guy, the only guy very much. Mm -hmm. um, I believe that they charge way too much. Mm -hmm. I believe now they are taking advantage, mm -hmm. but at the same time, um, it's fascinating what they were able to achieve. Right. I believe that they should be dropping the prices a little bit. I will talk to them. It's gonna I'm, be I'm more, seeing the CEO it's this It's gonna week. be more competition. Yeah. It's gonna be more competition. Right. It's coming, already is talk. Mm -hmm. which was created by, by, the, by a restaurateur in mm -hmm. Chicago, Alinea, but it's more for high-end restaurants. And Resi. And you prepay. Right. Resi. The, the game is going to be changing, but it's always good. Yeah, you get one you. company, three more follow. What about how restaurants are going to be? Like, what do you imagine? You've, you're, you just were talking there, you're opening a restaurant in L.A. 
Um, what, how do you look at the restaurant? Because so many things have become analog. People don't go shopping anymore. They use Amazon. They, lots of things have changed in the way people consume. Restaurants are an analog experience, or maybe they aren't. How do you, how do you look when you're thinking of the restaurant of the future, or the kitchen of the future? I, uh, right now, I am totally lost. Mm -hmm. I think I have a clear path, but then I'm lost. Obviously, I have a very big uh, spectrum of mm -hmm. restaurants. How I many do you my, have total? Uh, like 31, mm -hmm. 32. Then I have my food truck that we can do sandwiches for six, seven dollars. And we're about to open the first brick and mortar in Disney. I wanted all my life to be with Mickey Mouse. We're about to make <laughs> it happen. And it's called La Pepa, which is this blue woman living in Spain that she has the best time of her life, every second of her life. Mm -hmm. uh, La Pepa, sandwiches. All, all the way to minibar, which is $450 per person. Mm -hmm. And in between, everything. What I do believe that at the end, restaurants is very basic. Mm -hmm. If you provide good food, good service, at the price that people feel is the right thing, and that sometimes align with the people in terms of values, unwritten values, but these perceptional values, you will do well. Right. You apply that with the location, 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 mm -hmm. and you're in business. Right. Location, location, location in this world to me still is the most important thing. But in the old days, used to be the corner of the street you open. Now location has moved in different dimensions. Mm -hmm. Now it's also, are you in the right digital platform? Are you in the right uh, food ordering online platform? Right. Are you, uh, now location used to be used the physical space, mm -hmm. but now it's almost like matrix. Mm -hmm. uh, it's almost, you have to be location, location, location in the very different areas. Right. So it has made it a little bit more complicated, but at the same time, if you have a small restaurant and you do a great job, you're going to have lines outside. You're going to have lines outside. So would you imagine food is changing? Then we'll get some questions from the audience. Um, what about food? Where is it going? Where do you, what are the trends, the biggest trends that you're seeing? Your latest restaurant is focusing on what? So I think the, the food trend is more and more vegetables are going to become part of the Everything. human diet. So the China study or whatever. Especially in America, mm -hmm. we see the trend. I see the trend for the last 25 years. My restaurants every day more and more are becoming vegetable restaurants. Right. Uh, more and more vegetables are being ordered. And I love them. I mean, think about it. You put a steak in your mouth, five seconds, you look like a lion. <laughs> the five seconds, the flavor is gone, and you are still 30 more seconds without being able to talk to anybody a piece of meat that at that moment looked like a shoe, <laughs> a vegetable, a pineapple. You put it in. It's elegant from the beginning almost to the end. What the heck are we eating meat still? <laughs> That's why women seem to be eating more vegetables yeah. than men. Because mm -hmm. women always are smarter. Okay. Men, <laughs> we're stupid. We are 30 seconds at the time from our lives. <laughs> And is the reality. So I think vegetables is a simple trend and the way to produce those vegetables right. at a bigger scale, right. sustainable. I do believe that the farms are going to come closer to the cities. Mm -hmm. So they're the, right there. No, any different than the cars. Right. Every single car company is made of a lot of pieces. And the car company doesn't own the factories that make the pieces. Right. It's all the companies that sell to the main car company pieces. Where do you think they put the farm and their factories? In right. the other part of the world? No. They build their factories around the main production area for those cars. Mm -hmm. Sooner rather later, we're going to have supermarkets that around them, they're going to have the farm there, totally. that you buy your dill, your cilantro, your lettuce, your tomatoes, and your carrots. Mm -hmm. That's about to happen. Yeah. That's about to explode. I would agree with you going to replace the parking lots we weren't going to need because we'll have self-driving cars. Well, or, or even at one moment, it'd be fairly affordable for you. Right now, I don't even buy herbs anymore because I have this very piece of nice equipment mm -hmm. that very soon I can even check when I'm traveling if the dill and the parsley has water. And if I have to add nutrients, nutrients, mm -hmm. I am feeding my plants where I'm in Hawaii on vacation. I do now my plants in a little hydroponic. Mm -hmm. uh, you can save money. You can have fresher herbs. Right. 
and you don't have to grab the car because the recipe ain't gonna work because Gordon Ramsay told you that you had to have dill and parsley and mint. <laughs> uh, that's gonna be happening that's one be day happening too. More. So do you imagine computers ever replacing chefs? Oh yeah. It's already, you know, very early on in my life, I used to go to uh, uh, MIT. Mm -hmm. And inside MIT, they had this thing called the counterintelligence. Mm -hmm. And anything was technological advance about cooking, they will have it there. Mm -hmm. um, already they are testing hands, look-alike robots mm -hmm. that you have for the ingredients in the right place. You put the programming, you cook, the computer recreates all your moves. Yeah. They are able to download this into those mechanical hands. Right. And that robot is doing exactly the same dish you were able to do. Eventually, one day, this will happen. Mm -hmm. And already, to a degree, it's happening. Mm -hmm. Already are robots like doing Cutting. big system productions. But one day, we're going to have a robot. Jose. Being Jose. And quite frankly, I cannot wait so I can be playing golf. Um, you and Donald Trump together, uh, that would be great. I don't think that's going to happen so okay. soon. <laughs> but but I, I wish it happened. I wish it happened. I'll be the first one to clap if he passes immigration reform and he helps the people of Puerto Rico and he achieves peace with North Korea. And I'll be the first one uh, to clap. But, you know, you were asking me about uh, things happening and technology. You know the biggest thing happened to me in Puerto Rico? is just to see how we should be using more technology in moments of disasters. Right. Uh, even something like WhatsApp, I never really care about WhatsApp because now it's so annoying. You see how many ways we can get messaging now? Mm -hmm. Twitter and Instagram, right? And then direct message now. And I received this direct message. I need to speak to you. I'm like, who are you? Mm -hmm. And But it's important, okay. And then text and then WhatsApp mm -hmm. and then email mm -hmm. and then company. It's like, right. You are being attacked from so many angles. Yeah. But what's up? We needed to move quick and fast. Mm -hmm. We began doing the groups, groups that were necessary for the task. Right. The group of shopping, the group of food production, the group of fuel. Yeah. And only you had there the people that needed to be there, no more, no less. Right. And everything was very quick. Mm -hmm. A phrase, a request, a yes or no, efficiently. Mm -hmm. Right. There I saw the value of technology. There I saw the value, right. in this case, a platform like WhatsApp. Yeah. What before I saw like, man, another right. platform to text. Right. I saw the true value in this case to be the quick and effective providing food to the people in need. So you haven't gotten to Slack yet, have you? <laughs> Do you know a Slack? I don't know what the heck this okay. is. Okay. <laughs> All right. On that I, note. I was smiling to see if she was not going to ask me again. <laughs> what the heck is that? It's like WhatsApp groups. But it's oh, bigger. Slack. it's It was first, kind of, yeah. It's ah, the big. beginning. Yeah. It's lacking. We run our whole company on Slack. Slack, not Slacky. Ah, it's Slack. Slack, not Zag. What? Can you invite me? Okay. S I'm I'll my, show you. My pronunciation is kind of. Yeah. I fake it. Yeah, okay, I see that. It looks much more romantic. I like, I like If I, I can... speak like a true Texan, it like, give me a yeah. break. Yeah. Another yeah. one? Yeah. But. I come out with my, you know, Spanish accent, and, but I don't really have... You're not actually accent. Spanish, are you? No. no. Okay. Um. We're going to take another break for a word from our sponsors. We'll be back with Jose Andres after this. I'd also like to tell you about my other podcast, Too Embarrassed to Ask. Every week we answer your questions about consumer tech and this week's news. This week I talked to investor and entrepreneur Jason Calacanis about startups. Jason, what's the favorite thing we talked about? Go to town. You have one second. <laughs> I think uh, talking about Facebook, Tesla... And Ariana Huffington, and also Trump, who's just been tremendous with the tax cuts. Okay. It was a great Huge. discussion, and we Fun. hope you'll go listen to it. You can find Too Embarrassed to Ask on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, wherever you listen to your podcast. That's Too Embarrassed to Ask. See you there. Well, let's get some questions from the audience right here. Start. So it's hard to... Do I understand my accent? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's hard to believe anything that a politician says publicly, but I wonder, without naming names... What are the most hopeful and the most dire things you've been told by a politician kind of behind closed doors about the future of immigration? Well, I've been in the Hill and I've been told by, by, by senators and congressmen that don't worry, we will increase SNAP 
what is called food stamp, uh, food stamps, and and then going and and that person voting against it, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then they tell you the hundred excuses what they did. On immigration, exactly the same. I've been very lucky at times to host Republicans in my restaurants and Democrats in impromptu off-the-record lunches and or dinners. Sincerely, I do believe that they all care about the issues. But this one moment that when they get all to the hill, that becomes an impossible game to understand. When we talk about politics with a negative connotation, it's true that they are playing politics, no? It's like, if, if I tell somebody I'm gonna do something, I don't go then and I tell them, but by the way, because I'm gonna do this for you, now I need you to cook on the wedding of my daughter for free. No, I'm telling you I'm doing something, and I'm doing it, because I believe in it. I'm not expecting anything else in return. I don't mean by that bribing or anything. I mean that at the end, when somebody commits something, seems they are trying to leverage that to achieve something else. And then makes the whole thing impossible. Why we cannot have people on the hill that become politicians of word in saying, I'm doing this and I'm doing it. But you don't keep every single issue as leverage to something else. If we're talking about immigration reform, let's pass immigration reform. Don't start confusing that with uh, snaps or with the wall, the wall uh, which everybody says, but everything needs to be negotiated at the same time. Well, not really. Everybody agrees that we want to keep America safe. I have three daughters. I want America safe. I don't want anybody that shouldn't be around my neighborhood in the neighborhood. If he's a bad person that has been in jail or is coming from. But at the same time, we need to be solving one problem at a time. We could agree to disagree what's the best way to protect America with a wall or without a no wall. I think the best way to protect America is building walls. I agree with Mr. Trump. We need walls. I only want to use those walls in a different way. I want to build hospitals and schools and community centers. And that's a smart way to invest in walls. And anytime we help undocumented here, the money they can send overseas, if they are improving their lives of their people in the countries around Spain and anywhere around Europe or anywhere around the States, my daughters are going to be safer because those of the people are also doing well. Every man and woman only want one thing, that the children are doing well. If their children are doing well, they're happy. So what we need to all is provide the same to others that you and I will want to provide to our own. If we do that, the world is going to be a very happy place. All right, next question. So being from Houston and being in the restaurant industry, I would like to first extend our thanks and our gratitude for everything that you did after the storm and the floods. We certainly appreciate it. We couldn't have done the recovery without you. So we know that there will be another storm, there will be another disaster. We've also seen that your methods tend to be more effective and more immediate than what the government does. So my question to you is, other than giving you money, which we should all do, what can we do to help to be prepared for the next time? Because we know there will be a next time. Well, it, thank you. Uh, uh, it's, a, it's a lot of different uh, issues, right? Uh, but the one I know, which is food, is a very simple issue. Uh, I wish I was in Katrina, and I wish I was in the Superdome. I, I have sometimes nightmares about it. I wish I took the initiative I, I took later in places like Haiti and others. Because think about it, an arena, what is an arena? Is it a sports venue? Is it a music venue? No, it's a big lie. It's a big, gigantic restaurant that happens uses NBA players as entertainment. <laughs> think about it. So the only thing we had to do in Katrina was sending three or four Cisco U.S. food trucks, get an army of cooks like me willing to help, activate the kitchens inside the arena, boom, no more problem food. Now we can take care of toilets and showers and bed and security and electricity and everything else. So imagine how simple it is, right? 
So me, what I'm trying to do is precisely that, have the plan that we can activate the resources. People want to volunteer like crazy in the fires in Ventura. We got more than 2,000 volunteers in less than a week. People love to activate themselves to the betterment of the lives of others. Makes them feel good, but they really have that call to help others. So activating the volunteers through different digital platforms, that's gonna be very important. Uh, activating Uber-like systems, kind of we are talking to them, believe it or not, through Uber Eats. So people know who is producing the food, people know who is delivering the food, and people know who is receiving that food. Platforms like these right now don't exist. We were delivering medicines. We were delivering medicines because nobody knew who needed the medicines or where those medicines were. So we'll pick up the phone, call Paul Farmer from Harvard, a partners in health, and say, hey, I need medication because this doctor is doing transplants and he has no medicine for transplants. Boom, 24 hours, a plane came, we got it, we gave it to him, problem solved. We need just to make the big problems that they seem big, we need to simplify them. It's enough manpower, woman power, technology, and uh, uh, to do it. We only need people that stop meeting so much and that they have the plan before. When emergencies happen, plan should not happen. And more important, we need to have a special teams. When something happens that we never planned for, we need to adapt. If we adapt anywhere else in life every day, why can we not have people that are professionals of that adapting to new circumstances? Would you so, like to run FEMA? I said before, the men and women of FEMA, everybody is the best people out there. Mm -hmm. Do sometimes after two rum sours or three margaritas and two gin and tonics, mm -hmm. have dreams that I wish they mentioned, they told me to be the food star for Puerto Rico. So I will have everything at my disposal to be a true general of food, to make sure that food will not be a problem anymore. Did I dream of that moment? Yeah. But like me, hundreds of other chefs, like every day we adapt to new circumstances. It's, you know what I did? I sent a WhatsApp to Fidele from Bon Appetit, a big, one of the best companies in California for food. And I say, Fidele, I need the best men and women you have in the food production. He sent me in less than 48 hours some of the best chefs that America could have. They came and they became the Delta Force. With all of them, we were able to open more than uh, 18 kitchens in less than two weeks and a half. Look at how simple it is. If you need to feed America, bring the chefs because probably they're gonna be the ones that know how to do it quick, faster, and efficient. Right, chefs with WhatsApp, though. Um, okay, now two more questions we have time for, very quick, and then we'll bring on Melinda Gates. I was wondering if you oh. could explain the challenges of serving tapas to Americans. Well, thank you. Number one, uh, when I used to explain that, people would tell me, who are you, the bouncer? I say, why are you understanding? Tapas, man, not topless. <laughs> Number two, forks and knives really were invented for protection. Especially men that were stupid. So the fork and the knife will be up, standing up, protecting the plate when humankind was fighting for the food. After we became more kind of, you know, food ready, the fork and knife really became utensils to begin used to cut the meat and other things. And the most important thing was when we opened, especially in Washington, uh, people had a problem of sharing, believe it or not. <laughs> and I just understood that the problem only was based on 20 inches. If you put the plate in the middle of the, play, at the table, you encourage everybody to share. But if you didn't want to share, move the plate 20 inches towards you. Raise your fork, raise your knife, and we are not a tapas restaurant anymore. <laughs> but those mainly the, 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 the challenges. Beyond that, it's a great way of eating. You share, and I, don't, I love to eat many things. I love the rainbow. I like the clouds, but I prefer the rainbow. More color is better. More food is better. I get bored with one flavor. I want plenty of flavors in my mouth through the course of a meal. So tapas provided all of those things, and that's why 
Tapas has become, uh, I think, so successful and goes beyond Spanish food. Call it messe, call it sushi, was always tapas. But, you know, I hope that answers. Uh, are, you, are you opening a Spanish restaurant? No, no. Oh, good. Oof. <laughs> oh, I have a great Turkish Lebanese restaurant. Yeah. One in the sea and we open in Frisco. Yeah, go cowboys. <laughs> you know the problem of being in so many cities? Like, I look so fake news because you see me there with a, you know, I, I, I go, Jersey, you know, yeah. with the Los Angeles Lakers shirt, <laughs> then with the Wizards, then with the Ravens, then with the Redskins, and people look at me like, say, really? <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, one more very quick question that we three on Melinda Gates. Anybody else? We, we, did you realize that we only let men ask questions? Oh, the no. Issue, no. The issue didn't. woman didn't all ask right, well, any question is because right, okay. you know all the answers. <laughs> and that's why we love you. <laughs> all right. Is there it's a woman to who wants ready. to ask everybody a question? Sorry, I have a hard time seeing everybody's gender. I have one. All right, that's go ahead. Okay. Um, I think the one issue that we haven't asked about is the Me Too movement in restaurants oh, yes. today, oh, right? I'm sorry. Um, Mario Batali and so many more, all the coverage that Eater has done. Um, how are you moving forward? in your restaurants to handle harassment? Zero, zero, zero. It's no more time. No, no. Come on. Number one. No, I, I love, I love this. Listen, number one, I, I have three daughters. That doesn't make me, but imagine, as a father, uh, I want the best for my daughters. Number two, he's been aware that that has been happening and now super aware. Number three, I am a Me Too movement in support. This is not restaurant. This is society. This is community. Let me tell you, who feeds the world? If you go to Haiti, you go to Cambodia, if you go to Kenya, the challenge of feeding humanity relies on the shoulders of women that unfortunately they cook with charcoal, they get sick in the process, they carry their babies as they're cooking. Women very much carry humanity forward, feeding them, feeding us, and making sure that humanity has a future forward by keep, keep moving the species forward. So this is not about restaurant business. This is about community. This is about who we are. You know when they say, if you see something, say something? And you know when you hear some people saying, that's uh, locker room talk? Mm -hmm. Listen, I'm one far person. away from perfect. Right. But I'm Catholic, you go to the priest, you apologize, and you're forgiving all your sins. But this is beyond that. Everybody has the role to make sure that the people around us are protected. And if we see something, we need to say something. And if we hear things or comments that are not what they are supposed to be, we all should stand up. And protect you have that one person at a time, one woman. Do you have that in your restaurant? Have you instituted stronger? Because you know the restaurant business does have a macho guy kind of thing going on. But at the end of the day, unfortunately, it's every single business. But yeah. it's true that the kitchens—they've been always this kind of cave where heat and long hours. And but listen to me. Uh, I'm not going to say that my organization is uh, the Vatican and it's perfect. Uh, not like the Vatican. We can use it a good example. <laughs> but. Far away from that. In my restaurants, I'm very lucky in the sense for the last few years, I have a CEO that happens is a woman, Kimberly Grant. And between my wife, my daughters, and my CEO, she keeps me straight. And that in my office, is, in my headquarters, is full of women that they keep me and everybody else straight. But at the end of the day, it's very simple. Yes, it's a woman, but now we are listening. It's also about men that they've been taken advantage well, because they were gay or well, because it's about basic human respect from each other. And at the end, we can be creating rules of engagement in the workplace. But at the end, we need to be all with agreeing that especially women, they only but deserve our respect. And again, it's up to everybody to be checking on each other. When I'm listening to things we're listening right now, I'm always wondering who is around allowing those things to happen. 
Where, where are the, the, the roses and the chocolates if you wanted to propose to somebody? What's going on these days? That seems because the digital age, just we send a heart and we are ready to do whatever we want with that person. Long story short, uh, in my restaurants, I don't know if we are perfect or not, but I know we have a very good uh, human resources system of addressing this. But we cannot make it in a way that becomes kind of a structure that is so rigid, that is corporate, is humanity, is making sure I take care of you so you take care of me, and making sure that if we see something, we have to say something, and make sure that everybody feels comfortable enough to speak up, and that they have a place that they can come to ask for help. But we cannot be allowing this to happen. I think, uh, I don't know how this took so long to happen, I'm happy that finally happened, again, as a dad of three daughters, that they are about to become part of the world on their own. And again, men, we have a responsibility in this 21st century to be more active members of being the best partners we can for women and to anybody that feels that somebody is taking advantage of. Every man is going to have to be there fighting and have you, sure and have you reassessed your restaurant practices in, well, in the wake of this? I mean, you can't not be seeing. Everybody has been doing it. But mm -hmm. again, no restaurants, every single, uh, every single business. Obviously, we've been having this conversation. Mm -hmm. Are we Compliant. giving people the opportunity to have a place to come for help? Right. Are we giving the opportunity to people to speak up without being feeling they are in danger? Right. But that's what I'm saying. We all need to be alert. Right. We all need to be alert. And everybody should be speaking up. And if anybody feels like somebody has done something like, you know, it's unwelcome, everybody should be speaking up. And what I hope is gonna happen with everything we've seen is that especially women, they're not afraid anymore to speak up. And that's what I hope is gonna happen. But it's not only up to the woman, it's up to every single man or a strong person in that, in that tribe that also we need to live our lives as we preach. Me, I'm not a perfect guy. I scream sometimes more than I should and I raise my voice and I'm unfair more than I should. But I aim to be a better person and I aim to be a better guy. But everybody's gonna have to rethink their morals and rethink what's your engagement with others. And to this day, I believe our society has failed, especially women. Hmm. And it's good that this conversation, again, has become so public. And again, I repeat, it's up to everybody to check on everybody. If you say so, see something, say something. Don't look to the other side. Oh, I Fix say something. Right there, right, <laughs> I'm right good there. with that. I'm good on saying But that's very important. Yeah, yeah I agree. Is, we've been going silent for too long. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and again, my, we need to separate the legalities of things like every company runs through human resources mm -hmm. versus the practicality of human relationships That's too, but it has to come from we the need top. to check it has on to come each from other. the very top of the, of but, the but totally but yeah. totally but yeah. my point is we we do we have that <laughs> harassment of any kind should not be allowed mm -hmm. totally not too long ago in my christmas party i've been having a long year and i have got my top team and i apologize if in the last uh, few months i've been very hype and acting mm -hmm. and raising my voice more than i should mm -hmm. that's all the form of harassment uh, most people will tell me, Jose, that's okay, don't worry, we love you. Uh, but it's okay that you are aware and that people check on you and that you also recognize. But on the sexual harassment issue, this is unacceptable. Everybody should be especially protecting women. And men, yes, we should be doing more totally. Okay, great. Jose Andres, thanks for that question. Jose Andres. Thanks again to Jose Andres for talking to me. And thanks to Vox Media's The Deep End for hosting us at South by Southwest. If you enjoyed the interview as much as I did, be sure to subscribe to the show. You can find more episodes of Recode Decode on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play Music, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Or just visit recode.net slash podcasts for more. If you have a minute, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and tell other people about the show. That helps them discover great interviews like this one. Now that you're done with this, you should check out our other Recode Radio podcasts. On Recode Media with Peter Kafka, you'll hear no-nonsense interviews with some of the smartest people in media and entertainment. 
I also host Too Embarrassed to Ask, where we answer all of your questions about consumer tech. And on Recode Replay, you can find audio from all of Recode's live events, including the Code Conference and Code Media. Thanks for listening to this episode of Recode Decode. And thanks to our editor, Joel Robbie, and our producer, Eric Johnson. I'll be back here on Monday. Tune in then. Today's show is brought to you by IBM. By 2050, the world population will reach nearly 10 billion and food production will need to grow by 70%. Farmers are working with IBM and Watson to help increase their crop yields. Let's put smart to work. Find out how at ibm.com smart.